Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. We'd like to welcome everyone. This is the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. Very excited to have Bruce Thomas with us today. Good to catch up with you as always. And uh, always glad you're uh, enjoying life and family and all that good stuff and the grandkids and all the rest. Our grandkids. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So really excited to have you here today. So, you know, just to to kind of go a little bit into the um the background. I know uh, right now you're you're doing a lot of work in the bio biomed development space. But your history is, is a little bit more diverse, uh, but you've been around real estate for quite some time. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, how did you actually get rolling and, um, you know, how the, how this all come about, the way you are today? Uh, I stumbled and fell into it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got into engineering. I got my degree in construction engineering from Arizona State, and it kind of evolved from a conversation I had with my older brother who was a Cal Berkeley grad and a Vietnam vet. He came home and said, uh, so, you know, where are you going to college? What are you studying? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, what are you good at? I'm like, math. He's like, oh, you should be an engineer. I'm like, okay, I'll be an engineer. Mm-hmm. So I, I enrolled in, 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 in college and, and took all the, you know, pre-school courses and which was physics and calculus and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know? <laughs> I was playing basketball too, so it was it was a, a crazy load. But got to Arizona State, and one of the alumni there, one of the boosters, asked me, you know, uh, about changing over from mechanical engineering to construction engineering. Yeah, again, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, nineteen, twenty years old, I did it, and I became the first and only varsity athlete in ASU's history to get a degree in, in construction engineering, construction management, and letter in a in a major in major sport. You know, so that's kind of how it started. And I got out of school, went to work for Pulte Homes, built a lot of homes in Arizona okay. and got home building and got a job with a, a commercial developer in, in Tempe, Arizona. Their base was in San Diego, a company called Pacific Scene. And they were truly entrepreneurial. I mean they they they, they select the sites, they they underwrote the sites, they financed the sites, and they took you from A to Z. And my mentor there, um, a guy named Kurt Stevenson, was a former athlete as well, football player. He took me under his wing, showed me the ropes, and, and showed me development 101, like gra- grassroots development. Mm-hmm. And I got bit by the bug then and been in development ever since. Uh, years later, uh, a few years later, I wanted to uh, get back to California and got hired by a company called Glen Ivy Resorts. Glen Ivy was at that time the largest developer of timeshare resorts in the country. So I was responsible for building uh, hotel resorts in Arizona, in California. And it was like it was like having a job that was a vacation. You know, I was truly kind of living a dream in that. It really wasn't work, you know, and so it, it was an opportunity for me to really get an understanding that you could you could enjoy what you do. Your job didn't have to be a job, you know, and so that jettisoned me into the, the hospitality space. I still um, am active in the hospitality space, but over time, I ended up meeting a, a guy out of New York named Richmond McCoy, and and Rich and I became fast friends, and and. He uh, put together a fund, uh, Urban Urban America, which I ran um, the second fund's uh, West Coast division for them, both on the fundraising side and uh, the deployment of capital. We raised about $400 million. By the and, way, you talk about Urban America. Guess who I was with on uh, Monday? You wouldn't believe it. One of your co-workers from back in the day, Jeff Monnier. Oh, Jeff Monnier? Yeah, yeah. We were getting yes. that we were on the deal we're working on. Jeffrey's a good man. Good yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. We got we got a lot of stories about Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he said those urban days were incredible, but we'll yeah, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was fast yeah. and furious. We, you know, 
we were some young brothers that were, you know, had access to capital and were doing some fun things. We didn't, we, we didn't really know all of what we had at the time. And, you know, we were the first, kind of the first wave of folks that got money from institutions. You know, we got, mm-hmm. we got a hundred million from CalPERS and LA Fire and Pension Fund and a couple others that big time pension funds. So it, it was like what is kind of, I think, you know, a lot of these funds and larger groups are now trying to focus on diversity and 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 inclusion. And it, it, it should have been happening a long time ago, but they're talking like they want to do it again, you know, so we'll, we'll see. But uh, I was exposed to institutional capital and, and deploying institutional capital. And uh, most recently was approached by one of those institutional groups, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Troy Jenkins. And he asked me, you know, about biomed. And he said, you know, we're going to be deploying capital in that space through one of his relationships. And, you know, was there a way that we could help? I'm like, absolutely. You know, and so we developed the whole company and strategy around the the whole biomed life sciences concept, building buildings so that firms that were either growing or incubating or uh, just needed to move into, you know, space that was close to intellectual property of universities, teaching hospitals and, and things like that. So those are the real demand drivers being close to the intellectual property, which are the, the people that develop the technologies and 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 grow these companies for the next waves of, of, of either medicine, technology, and, and the combination of those two. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to say, uh, tell Troy Jenkins, I said, what's up? Let me get a chance to talk to him. Absolutely. I'll be here from, yeah, I haven't spoken to him in a minute. Yeah, that, that's exciting. Uh, but I do want to ask you one thing because I, I want to take a deeper dive into the biomed space mm-hmm. but, uh, as it relates to hospitality, because you have a lot of experience in that background and in that space. Uh, what are your thoughts on hospitality right now? Is this a good time to get in? Should we wait? Should we look at no, margins from hotels? So, okay. What about no, apartments, apartments? Dig in, you're saying? Get in, yeah. And, and there's a lot of that going on. One of my partners, uh, Lynn Tolliver, you know, she has a, a, a an apartment platform and it's a workforce housing platform. And there's a lot of conversion of kind of the older exterior corridor hotels mm-hmm. into workforce housing, you know, because you can't build it cheap enough to really be workforce housing. So you almost have to acquire and convert. And, and that's, that's been one of her, her models. But as far as pure hospitality, either ground up development and or acquisition is is something that I still look at, even though I'm in biomed development, I, I still look at hospitality. Uh, one of the projects that we're working on has both uh, a biomed medical office and hospitality component. So it's very much in what I like to do. And mainly because a lot of times we're, we're in an area where the hospital may have beds and stuff for for the patients, but the family that visits doesn't have you know a, a hotel in close proximity, and so they've got to go and they're they're you know miles away from you know where their families are at in the hospital. So if if we have a site that's large enough for you know a hotel, we definitely consider that. Okay, interesting because obviously during COVID, you know hospitality became a dirty word. You know, but you should always they suffered, Yeah, they suffered quite a bit, mm-hmm. but we're seeing a rebound, and quite frankly. I can't find product for, you know, some of my, my, my hospitality people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know people are definitely traveling again. As I mentioned, I was out of town this weekend and uh, all the flights were full, airports were packed. Yeah. 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 So people are still getting around and they're traveling again. So yeah. And out here, the mask mandate finally has been lifted in California and people are a lot more comfortable, you know, traveling and, and getting out doing things. And yeah. hopefully we're past the, the major portion of this pandemic or whatever it was and uh people are getting back to normal living yeah yeah quite interesting so you you mentioned let's uh, pivot back to to biospace because that's pretty exciting actually i wanted to ask you about one other thing and i I just remembered this as it relates to your background you were doing some work also with uh, the bankruptcy courts and and assets that they had is is that correct um can you talk about yeah yeah I, i actually managed the bankruptcy court itself as an asset so it was more of an asset management job. And, you know, I, I, you know, had to cater to all the judges and stuff like that and all the staff, make sure that the building operated, you know, the way they, that the city wanted it to operate. 
I got you. All the opportunities there. You think uh, that people should be looking at opportunities coming out of the bankruptcy courts, or? Yeah, there, there, there are definitely. You know, you, that's one of those areas where I've, I've got a couple people that I know that specialize and focus in that area, mm-hmm. and they would always come mm-hmm. up with opportunities. It, it's not something that I'm versed in, and so I, I kind of more of a traditional, you know, relationship where I find my deals and stuff, but. Some people find find you know real opportunities in those those bankruptcy situations. Right, right, gotcha, gotcha. So now talking back about um biomed because that's that's quite interesting. What is your ideal situation right now? Are you more so looking for sponsors that you can step in and be the developer for? Or are you looking for your own opportunities to sponsor, or how are you uh, actually pursuing that? You know, your a combination of both. You know, if there's a group that may have a site that they want developed. We can come in and, and, and partner with them, either by the site or they can leave their site in the deal, and mm-hmm. we can, you know, bring in capital and development expertise to to get it off the ground and, and get it done, get it built, and lease it up and and help them with that that process. Okay, all right. And are they usually uh, single tenant type offices, or are they generally because you said lease it up? So I would assume that's yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it could be single tenant design build or you know multi tenant. You know. We're working on a, a, a multi-tenant building now in here in California, uh, life sciences and medical office. And so it's a combination of, of both uh, life sciences, companies that have, you know, need for uh, clean room space and, and things like that are, are typically what we look for. Okay. All right. Could you actually put reposition certain assets as well? Uh, Absolutely. That's another. Yeah. Yeah. So we do ground up and repositioning, you know, by existing buildings, repositioning them because, you know, speed to market is one of the things that we we have challenges with, you know, as developers. And typically the development process is is on a minimum, Mm -hmm. you know, a year, 18 months to two years development cycle, uh, depending upon what part of the country you're in and how the entitlement and, and building permitting phases go. Every once in a while, you can find an opportunity that's, you know, entitled and ready to go. And, and and you know, from a ground up standpoint, you can go in and it's shovel ready. Most of the time, you've got to get it ready. And so, which means you've got to hire the architects, the engineers, you know, get the site planning done. Mm-hmm. And depending upon, you know, the acreage and the size, we're, we're looking to do some campuses, you know, which means that it's going to be 10 acres or, or more so that we can have multiple buildings if the landowner is you know such that that they want to leave their uh, land in the deal you know they get a preferred return back to them and we build it for them and we we bring in the capital and we'll you know go to the market to find tenants. Okay, okay, that's, that's quite interesting. So, would you also focus on areas that are closer to universities and existing hospitals, or does it really matter? No, that's that's part of the drivers. You know, we want to be close to the universities and the hospitals because. Uh, a lot of times those professors and doctors are the ones that are doing the researching and, and research to evolve into, you know, smaller companies that grow into larger companies. They have the patents on new technology, new medicines that need to, you know, this COVID thing has really kicked off a lot of entrepreneurs as, as it relates to finding prevention and cures for, for COVID. And so you, you're finding a lot of, you know, doctors needing space you know, for trials and uh, new medicines and things like that. So, and if from an institutional capital standpoint, a lot of a lot of capital is looking for these types of deals because the returns are are so nice. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good point. What what actually makes the return so nice on a particular deal like this that stands out from from the crowd? I think it's you know similar to back in the dot com days. Mm-hmm. You know there are a lot of companies being funded on concepts, mm-hmm. and so you know there's a lot of money, you know, chasing these these concepts and these deals. Mm-hmm. And so you know companies that are new could be very well funded, and they need time. My partner, Dr. Hart, uh, Phil Hart, who is a part of our biomed team, developed a building in Boston in um, about thirty years ago. Out of that development, a drug called Bidil was developed. And Bidil, it went through a lot of clinical trials, but it took years for it to be developed and get to market. And it's the first race-specific drug, specifically for African-Americans or Black folks, that deals with congestive heart failure. And, and, and it, it came out of that incubation, 
out of that, you know, office building that they built in, in Boston 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it takes 10 years for a drug, let's say a drug to, to go through clinical trials and, and get to market. But all that while that space is, is being occupied and, and sometimes they need to grow. Institutions can be funded. They can be um, capitalized well at that particular point in time, as you said, kind of at a seed stage, but have the money in order to be a good tenant for many years going forward and, uh, and, and obviously provide a return for the capital even after, you know, the, the construction period of time. So that gives Absolutely. you a, a really good runway to uh, have a profitable building and even exit if you choose to. Yeah, on that window. Absolutely, because you know, oftentimes, you know, these institutional uh, folks are kind of—they may not lead the charge into a market, but once they find out about a market, they'll overpay. Yeah, they, they will overpay, and, and I'm seeing that now in San Diego and San Diego, Boston. These institutions—they are overpaying to be in those markets just because you know those markets are you know the the, the leaders in space in that in that sector. Yeah, yeah, very good point. So what, what's your typical footprint? Like if you had an ideal situation, I know as a developer, you really don't care because, you know, you'll develop whatever needs to be developed. But what would you say is the typical footprint or model for a particular project like this? If somebody came to you and said, look, I'm an IT guy, we're developing this drug or this new technology and we need a building, you know, I, I guess it's really going to be driven by how many people that they have or do you have kind of a footprint or a package? No, it's, it's individually, you know, oh. you know we, we program according to the need okay. and we'll sit down with the tenant and say, okay, what are, what are your lab space requirements? What are your office space requirements? Common areas, you know, requirements and our architect and our team will get together with them and design a space specifically for them. So the footprints, it, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, we build mm-hmm. buildings uh, based upon on the, the real need. And we'll sit down and we'll talk to you, Joe, what, what, what do you, what do you need? Uh, depending upon what that need is, we'll come back with, you know, space requirements and, and all that needs to net assessment and uh, put a, put a, put a site plan and floor plans together based upon those, those needs. Right. Right. Okay. That sounds real good. Now you mentioned one other thing that, you know, we talked about before, and I certainly want to circle back to it. And that was uh, institutional capital wanting to deploy capital to minorities. You know, I've been at a lot of those meetings, a lot of those discussions, and sometimes, you know, it gets hung up between the institution that's actually managing the capital for the pension fund or for the, you know, municipality and the actual entrepreneur or the fund manager. And it seems to never get through that vetting process because the money tends to, you know, just by default, wind up at the uh, larger shops, the Black Rocks of the world. So what, what have you been seeing as regards that money actually making it to the hand of minority fund managers? Uh, because we've seen historically, and you know this as well, Bruce, that oftentimes they'll outperform a lot of their larger counterparts. So are you actually seeing that money get through the funnel these days? No. <laughs> no. no. And I'm just being real. I mean, yeah. the dialogue is, is still there. Still you know, to be done. And I've gone through this exercise three times in the last eight months mm-hmm. with, with institutional capital. I won't mention any names, but they know who they are that reached out to us and said, oh, a minority and woman-owned firm mm-hmm. in biomed, in life sciences space. We want to work with you. We present opportunities to them and they're like, oh, this is great. Let's go down. Let's let's get to our regional guy and we'll talk to our regional guy. Mm-hmm. Go to the regional guy and the regional guy. Will, oh, no, um, that's not a market we want to be in. And it's like either you trust us to know what the hell we're doing or you don't. Yeah. And, and that's the, the bottom line. We as people of color always have to prove ourselves and, and do better than our, 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 our non-melanin counterparts. And we have to know what we're doing even more because we we can't make mistakes. We don't get second shots at institutional capital. So we know what we're doing. We we have to know what we're doing. And they just need to trust that if given a shot, we can make them some money. Now, will we lose them some money? Absolutely. But you know, their managers now are losing them money. And so Victor, Victor McFarland, 
You know, that's what this all sounded like when you were talking about his, his no, story. Got started. So Victor, <laughs> Victor was one of the first guys that got institutional capital. I'll never forget this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was at CalPERS and I was working on behalf of Urban America, and we were trying to get money from them. And the 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 um, real estate guy, chief investment officer of real estate, told us to go talk to to, to Victor. Because in his eyes, they had allocated money to black folks that they were going to allocate money to, and it was Victor. And and, and so we actually had to go hire a lobbyist to go back in to help us get the money. And he didn't look like us. You know, it was somebody that Victor, you know, recommended, and they helped us get the money. We got the money, but, you know, again... And, and I've seen, you know, some of those institutions do do Victor dirty because you know, it's like he suffered a loss on 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 a, a portfolio that the market. Everybody was suffering losses, but they treated him differently. And, 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 and it's sad because everybody else that they brought in had the same same issues. You know, the market slid when the market slides, the market slides. You can't get 20 percent returns in a six percent market. Yeah. And I, I remember Victor standing up in, in one of those, you know, town hall meetings that they had. And they were talking about, you know, deploying capital to people of color and women. And a part of that argument was, you know, you guys want, you know, 20 percent returns, but it's a 6 percent market. So what do you want us to do? Yeah. And and basically the non-melanin people would basically lie to them and say, yeah, we can get these returns for you. Give us the money. <laughs> they give them the money. Like, oh, man, guess what? Yeah. We only got a 6% return. Oh, no problem. Here's 20 more million. Here's 100 more million. You know, yeah, another yeah. 200 million. We love you. It, it's a lot of conversation. And we continue to move forward anyway. There are some institutions that are deploying capital but it's really, really relationship driven where I've got a relationship with this group and or that individual for 20 years mm-hmm. you know, and they know us. They know us beyond our skin color. They, they know us beyond being male or female. They know the character of, of who we are and, and they trust that we know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we always say that the real estate industry is a, relationship-driven industry, but it's even more so at that level, if you really want to get Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it really is, because it's 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 still a good voice network, and they're letting us in more, but it's not what they said that it was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, they it's not what they indicated that they even want to do. You know, I've had one group said, hey, our heart's in the right place, but our execution sucks. And this is from one of the top guys at this institution that has 10 billion in, in, in dry powder right now. And they can't get it out the door because of what he said, poor execution. Yeah. And I, you know, just write us a check. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the execution. That's write us a check and we'll give it back, you know, with a return, you know. Yeah, that's the execution. I know, I know. It's so funny. You know, you, you talk about Victor during that time, and I remember him telling us that, um, or telling me actually about how he was trying to tell those institutions to, you know, don't lock in your losses. You know, just sit tight. It's going to come back. And it did roll back, you know, yeah. because certain assets are inherently good. It's like Apple stock ain't going nowhere, right? Yeah. Amazon stock ain't going nowhere. It might dip, but it ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Right? And so the same thing here. And, um, you know, but people, they get scared and, you know, it, it may have been, well, I know with a lot of people outside of the uh, decision makers that were crying and whining about losing capital. But again, like you mentioned, it was being lost everywhere. So, yeah. And, and, and a lot of times those guys that are making the decisions, they're, they're concerned about their jobs. Right. You know, and and it's, it's, it's a job, you yeah. know, and so they, they, they've got to, you know, protect their jobs and, Whereas folks that are family office and, and, and developers that come up with on their bootstraps, they're less risk adverse. They they understand that it's going to take some some hard work and and get a little dirty. They're going to create value. Whereas you know institutions, they're less entrepreneurial. They want to 
coupon clip and be safe um, because at the end of the day, you know, they got a job to protect and they want to be around, you know, tomorrow. And, you know, we, we understand and assess risk, but we also understand that secondary markets, and, and that's where I, I really like to focus. Uh, we did it at Urban America. Secondary markets are a gold mine. And it's just, you know, around the corner from a primary market. But you're, you're a lot of times you're in those commuter zones where people are commuting an hour to get to that primary market. And they're coming from that secondary market because no one's built in that secondary market to relocate those jobs and that company to that secondary market where the people actually live. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's, a, that's a very good point. Glenn, I wanted to mention, and everyone, we're going to be getting to uh, Q&A in about five minutes. So just hang tight and uh, we'll get all your questions. So that's, that's, sit tight, we'll be right there. But, um, you know, you, you bring up a good point. Uh, we've seen that dramatically in Atlanta, for an example. And as uh, traffic increased in the urban core, that's why you get this urban spread, because everybody's saying, well, I'd rather be out here. I live out here. And uh, you look at the uh, submarket of Alpharetta, for an example, in Atlanta, wound up having a lot of those executives living in that area because it was a nice area. Mm-hmm. Bring all the other corporate executives in. And then you have like a UPS that says, well, why don't we put our office up here? Right. So we don't all have to drive into downtown. Right. And the other people who work for a company want to move closer. And it just grew and grew and grew. And uh, even the uh, the perimeter market, I don't know how well you know Atlanta, but that's the north side of the city, the northern <laughs> bypass. But um, it has actually more office space than downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's technically a suburban submarket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you say is, is 2,000% correct. State Farm now has a, over a million square feet uh, in, that, in that region as well, in that mm-hmm. submarket. But um, you bring up a, a real powerful point because um, as, as cap rates continue to fall in like New York, Boston, D.C. and places like that, people were running to Atlanta and San Diego and other places like that in order to look for opportunities. And, um, you know, obviously that's driven up the prices here as well, you know, and that will continue to go. But, you know, it's always what's that next sub-market or secondary market because those are the opportunities are. Yeah. And, and, you know, land is king. You know, location is still king. And if you've got land and a good location near, you know, a university or a teaching institution, a teaching hospital, for, from from our standpoint, those could be demand drivers where you know there could be a space needs uh, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. You know, you were just mentioning something that I got to get back to you on. There's a um, an area where this group was actually trying to build a a hotel. I don't want to give it away on a public forum like this, but a very very good area that actually would be perfect for life sciences because of all the infrastructure that's already there. And mm-hmm. they couldn't get the hotel built because it was right during the middle of COVID. So, you know, merging those two together, this could actually be an excellent opportunity for that. So we'll talk about love, that offline. Love to take a look at, at it. Yeah. Uh, we were actually looking in the Atlanta area, Tyrone Rochelle and one of his partners, Michael Tab, who's mm-hmm. going on to, to Google now. We were having them look at it in Atlanta because that was one of the target markets for CalSTRS. And they're actually looking, you know, at some 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 opportunities down in that, that market. But, you know, Atlanta and, and that suburban market, I think, is is you know, around Georgia Tech. Those, you know, are some of the demand drivers and stuff that, you know, people are now coming in tying up stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you could get around Georgia Tech now, you're doing real good. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. crazy. And, you know, they just finished stabilizing one of their massive new structures that they built near the Georgia Tech campus as well. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot going on there. Um, actually, across the highway from the Georgia Tech campus where... Anybody in Atlanta knows what that is on Spring Street down that way. But good stuff, man. Absolutely. And one last thing I, I do want to circle back on, because this is, uh, you know, I will say somewhat unique to you, Bruce. And one thing I really appreciate about you is uh, your desire to give back and to help other minorities get to that next level. And uh, that's really what this is all about. You know, this podcast is about trying to help that next generation to come along. And um, I know you've done a lot of work with your daughter to try to push her forward in that regard and help her out. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, your passion and and how, you know, you're willing to work with others and, you know, what your thoughts are on that and, and what the possibilities are going forward. It's definitely a passion of mine. You know, I, I think that 
our life is not our own. It's it's we go through what we go through so that we can give to somebody else. And whether that be knowledge and opportunity, you know, experience. My my daughter has followed me into the industry. She got her master's degree from my alma mater, Arizona State, in what I do, real estate development, and graduated in the arena that I used to play basketball in, in like 30 years later. And, mm-hmm. and you know, she's, she's really good. She's a part of our firm and ha- handles entitlements and stuff like that. But being able to see something and know that it's possible is, is how we grow that next generation. And if they can see that I can build a hotel and I, I can build an office building and make money and have fun, I can, you know, play basketball. Uh, I've got a young guy that is at uh, Sacramento State playing basketball. And when we started talking, he was like, yeah, I'm in construction management. You know, and I'm like, that's my path. That's the hard path that you're on, but that's my path. And I, I got you. You know, anything that, that you know, you need, I got. Because, number one, playing sports is tough, you know, and then having a real major, you know, like construction engineering, construction management. I know what his load is like, and we've got to encourage that next generation so that they understand it, it's it's possible. You can own a hotel. You can build a hotel. You can build an office building, and you can manage it. And so uh, for me, doors that were open for me weren't open just for me. You know, They were open for me to open for other people, and that's what, what I want to do. I was the first but I don't want to be last and building buildings on what has traditionally been a, a white male dominated industry. That's my truth. That's what I've seen, you know, in my career. Right. The people that I you know, typically are the gatekeepers for those funds, whether it be institutional or, you know, private equity or, you know, family office, they've been white males. And, and in the last 15 years or so, we've seen more women and more women of color, more, more people of color, you know, in those decision-making processes and, and, and uh, in charge of those decisions, but it's still not enough. The two of the, the three most recent institutional situations that I run into, the intermediary was a, was a black man. And they, they're trying to run interference to get us in the door for this institutional capital to deploy capital to us. And they they do their job in getting us to the t- table, and we we are liked by the decision makers. But when it goes back down to the lieutenants to say, okay, we're going to deploy capital, that's when we go we get radio silence. Yeah. And so they, they need to do better in in, in following through what they say they're going to do, and because we are capable, you know, people of color are capable. Our young people are smart. They, they're learning at the same institutions, if not better institutions than, than you know, the non-melanated people. And we just need to get a shot. You know, we just need to be put in the game. I hear you. I hear you. Do you think there's opportunity with um, corporate sponsors as opposed to just pursuing institutional uh, pension funds and that sort? Absolutely. You know, you're seeing, you know, these corporate you know, sponsors diversifying and putting people of color and women in in decision-making where the person that's actually the decision-maker to allocate funds is a Black woman. You know, some of these pension fund advisors are hiring people of color and women that that now have the juice to make it happen. You know, so, no, I I think that corporate sponsorship, anybody that wants to deploy capital will take it. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) It spins well, right? (laughs) So... It's all good. It's all good. Well, let's go ahead and open up for um, Q&A. And uh, we appreciate your time uh, being with us and everyone sitting through the uh, conversation here. Uh, Glenn Gray, I wanted to start with you. You had your, your hand up early on. If you're still there, uh, you mind jumping in and asking your question? Yes. Thank you, Joe. I am here at full transparency. I'm driving. I'm on the road. So I'll keep the camera off. Brother Bruce, I really appreciate the conversation today. It's really inspiring. Uh, sometimes I think I have a, a, a ADHD when it comes to development because there are so many different asset types that I, I'm interested in. But I also hear, you know, you perhaps took a contrarian approach when you shifted from 
hotel to biomed in which some may say, you know what, you're operating outside of your, your niche or your core competency. So my question really, I would love for you to unpack a little deeper your mindset or what was your, your approach to when you shifted into a completely different asset class, what did you rely on? What was that core competencies or what was that value proposition that you knew you brought to the table? Obviously, there's an experience with executing on a lot of deals and your construction management, but was there something that you, that you said internally that you were going to hang your hat on and, you know, that is what you were going to build this next iteration of your development yeah. life with? No, great question. Building a building is building a building. You know, for me, having built buildings before, asset class really didn't matter. If I can build, you know, a, a, a office building, I can build a hotel. I just need to uh, have an understanding of, of the components and how, how it comes together. And the other thing that I, I do is I hire the best in class around me to support me. I don't need to know everything. You know, I didn't. I need to know the people that know everything about that particular asset class, and that's it. I've always liked different challenges. No, no commercial building is exactly alike. No two commercial buildings are exactly alike, and because of that, each new project is going to bring about new challenges. And so, hotels have their own, you know, challenges and opportunities just like an office building, whether it be a medical office building, an industrial building, you know, industrial buildings are easy. You know, they're typically tilt up buildings and there's not a whole lot of, you know, brain matter required. Biomed, life sciences projects, there's a a little more intrigue in, you know, you've got lab space, you've got a combination of spaces that you, you may have to layer in from an architectural design standpoint. And then, you know, you, you, you hire people that have done it in that space before from a general contracting standpoint, you, you hire best in class, you, you, you hire the architects that, that, that have 20 years in that space. And so they know what they're doing. And, you know, then it's about managing people. You know, I think that if you're out looking at different asset classes and at some point in time, you'll, it'll, it'll choose you. And I think that both hospitality and, 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 and this bio, mad biotech thing chose me more than I chose it. And the other thing is, you know, you follow the capital, follow the money. And how can I help, you know, the money uh, get deployed? And, and that's what one of the things that we saw coming up with the whole concept of the biomed development team. Okay, good. Appreciate that, Glenn. Thank you for participating and being part of that. And any other questions that you guys may have, you can put those in the chat or you know, raise your virtual hand as well. well. We'll certainly get to you. You know, you mentioned something here, uh, Bruce, about following the money. And, you know, I've always mentioned that you could see there's there's a path of capital where it's flowing. You know, there's an ebb and flow to it, but it's generally going in a particular direction. And if you can position yourself in front of it or even in the way of it, you know, you could actually do well. You mm-hmm. know, actually think about it. And obviously, this shift, everything ran toward multifamily and industrial, right? And that became the big thing. So what's the next thing? You know, maybe it's a matter of getting the, the IRR report from Integral, or maybe it's uh, something else to kind of find out, you know, what's that next cycle? But mm-hmm. uh, being able to position yourself there in front of it is, uh, is very valuable. You know, yeah. Able. And and that's one of the things that we, we you know, we see having been involved in institutional capital before, we still have those relationships. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we hear where they want to deploy capital. It takes time for them to find opportunities and and find people to help them deploy the capital. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting in front of the right person, you know, with the right opportunity at the right time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Matt, you had a question here. Uh, What does a typical capital stack look like for a biomed life science project? 65% in debt, 35% equity. So, Matt, you can join us as well if you want to come on camera and ask more of of related to your question. but. No, that's, that's, that's about right. You know, like more leverage, some like less. It really depends on, you know, the sponsor and, and their, their liking and what the institutional partner, the LPs are, are you know, what their, their return hurdles are. And each institution has, you know, their own preferences as, as far as return hurdles. 
and however you need to meet them, you know, uh, more leverage, less, less leverage, you know, you work it out. But that's that's typically what we're seeing, you know, 35, 65. All right. That's really not far off from a lot of typical projects mm-hmm. at a particular range. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that, that kind of fits in. Where, where are other opportunities? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, secondary markets. Do you see this model being good at all in tertiary markets at all? Or what are your thoughts? A little bit harder? Well, it, it depends on what metro you're in. I, I'm seeing stuff in Virginia, northern Virginia, as it moves away from, you know, D.C., Maryland. and those are, you know, secondary markets that are now becoming primary markets because of both the companies that are relocating back there mm-hmm. and, and the hospitals and the, the colleges that are back there, you know. And so you've got a big cluster of universities that are, you know, expanding in this space, Arizona State out in, 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 in Arizona, and, and their arch rival, the University of Arizona, have collaborate, collaborated on space in Phoenix in this biomed, biotech sector. You know, they've got medical medical office building and they're a medical school, you know, like right down the street from one another. So there, there's collaboration going on. These, these secondary and tertiary markets are gaining momentum. And, you know, depending upon the, the company, they want to be around a, a strong labor force. And that's that intellectual property, you know, from the universities as these kids come out that they're graduating, that are studying chemistry or whatever, and they 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 fall into these these companies that you know use their skill set, their their intellectual power to to grow their businesses. Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of um, universities technically could be in tertiary markets. Uh, you know, I look at even um, the University of Georgia. That's way out in Athens. I mean, that's an hour plus from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a major, major university, you know, and it's obviously not the only one. Mm-hmm. So that actually is a good point. You know, I was thinking of also, you talk about development outside of the city. Um, if you look at the new Silver Line in D.C. that runs out to IAB, you know, Dallas International, there's a lot of growth taking place along that line and in that corridor, which uh, is a good little ride from the city, you know, mm-hmm. from that standpoint. So, you know, you're, that growth is certainly growing away from the, uh, the urban core. Uh, mm-hmm. But the universities produce a lot of the, you know, people that would be key for the workforce in these particular institutions in biomed. That's a very good point that you make there and the opportunities that are there as well. Let's go ahead and uh, grab Uriah Robinson. Uh, Uriah, we appreciate having you here today. You're always here, so thank you. Yes, sir. Good morning, Ms. Thomas. Thank you very much for this for this session. I did have a question. What, what type of advice would you offer to those that are new to commercial real estate that are looking to raise the equity portion of the capital stack. What what type of suggestions and or insight from your experience have you seen to be some best practices? Talk, network, 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 network. You you can never have you know too many friends uh, when you're looking for money because eventually somebody you know if you talk enough about it to the right people you'll get to the right person, you know, because money is money's out there looking for deals. Money's always looking for deals. And if you you have a, a valuable deal, make sure your deal is tight and that you can you can present your deal, you know, and start presenting it. You know, start talking to folks like Joe. He he's gonna tell you about, you know, this person. He's gonna tell you, you know, and and being here and asking that question is that you're on it. You know, you're on it. And so that's how we do it, networking and you know, communicating with folks that a lot of times you may not get a deal done with a person today and it may happen 15 years from now, but developing those relationships that, you know, you mentioned a name and Joe's like, oh yeah, you know, I, tell Troy, I said, hey, oh, you know, Troy and I have known each other for 20 years, you know, and, and, and so a lot of times those relationships that, you, you know, could be casual in nature today, you know, may you be your next business partner, you know, down the road. Yeah. Thank you for that. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's valuable. Thank you for that insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a, a big point, Bruce. You know, even over my years, you know, you expect things to happen more immediately. But sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, well, I've known this person for so many years. I could just call them up and say, hey, 
you know, what about this, what about that? And that bond is formed where you can actually start getting some stuff done. Absolutely. And it just takes time, you know, and yeah. that's part of the seasoning of being in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, really, the only way to get around that is what you just said, talk. Yeah. Because, you know, if you don't talk, then nobody knows you and they're not going to make those connections for you. So, yeah, never be afraid to meet somebody and hand out a card, you know, because, you know, it's like, no, is not a rejection. Mm-hmm. To me, no, it's just not now. Yeah, not today. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean that, you know, at some point in time, the time you won't be right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one thing I noticed also is that, um, and I didn't come up with this, but I remember a, a buddy of mine telling me about it, that a lot of people that he knew that were analysts and other low-level positions years ago, now they're top executives. And if you keep in touch with those people as they change jobs and everything else, you never know what can, um, you know, come out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, really good. All right, you're right. I think he had one more. Oh, no, who's uh, oh, Matt Reed, I guess it is. Had one more question. Uh, what advice are you giving to construction students that want to get into development but haven't been exposed to the finance portion? If you're around somebody that is developing a, a project, you know, and you're providing construction services, ask them, can you help with the performer? You know, ask them to, you know, let you look at their performer and start modeling it. Joel talked about analysts and, and folks like that. You know, typically as a developer, you start off analyzing numbers. I did. You start, you know, with a construction budget and, you know, how you how do you put bring the financing in and how do I develop, you know, rates of return? And, you know, now you've got programs that, you know, drop all that stuff in for you. Back in my day, we had to develop the model, you know, and, and so it was it was way more arduous. But, you know, now you've got templates out there that you can drop stuff in, whether it be multifamily, hotel, office buildings, you know, each one has their own model. And you 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 just start asking questions and and asking, can you start developing performance and, and running numbers? Because that's how you learn. I think that anybody that's in in construction, and this is my preference, some people just love building buildings and, and being in construction. But for me, I wanted to be able to control more of the process, you know, being being in basketball and I related back to basketball, being a point guard, I had the shooting guard, I had the, you know, small forward, power forward in the center. Everybody had their job and it was the point guard's job to get the ball to those people at the right time so that they could, you know, utilize their strengths. And it's the same thing in, in, in real estate development. As a developer, you know, you've got your contractor, your architect, your engineers, and your finance people, your attorneys. You've got to be able to layer all those people into the project at the right time, know who to call, when to call, and what those needs are. And the only way you do it is to start asking questions. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions and 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 say, hey, can I can I learn? Can you help me with this? Can I do that for you? Do it for free. You know, do it for free. Because if you if you could do it for free when they start paying you, you'd be like, I did this for free. Yeah. I'm winning, you know, because I've done it for free. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. So, Matt, hopefully that answers your question. We appreciate you being here and, and participating in today's session. So, uh, so Bruce, as we wrap up, um, what final thoughts do you have for our audience today? You know, what, what final words of wisdom? Go wow. And keep I in mind, think that a lot of a lot of the folks on the line today are, are newer to commercial real estate, so just wanted to put that in as you kind of think in your words. Yeah, uh, co- commercial real estate is unique. Every project that you'll do and run into is unique. I started off in home building, and I built about a thousand homes uh, with Pulte, and and it was just cookie cutter. And if you like adventure, if you like newness. Commercial real estate is the way to go, whether and there's so many different aspects of it, whether it's brokerage, whether it's an architect, construction management, uh, civil engineering. There's so many aspects of, uh, of of commercial real estate. And, you know, while it's work, it could be a lot of fun. And, and that's the thing that I, I would encourage everybody to do is, you know, make this fun and, and look at your job as not a, as really a job, but an adventure. And the adventure is you get to play grown up in this, you know, kind of tinker toy building blocks of a a society and 
build buildings that people occupy and live in and work in. And you can go back and, and show your kids, your grandkids, like, you know, this is what, what I did, you know, and 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 this is how the universe used me to, to facilitate change in a particular area. You know, this this was needed and we did this. And, you know, share. Share, share as much as you can because you can't take any of the stuff with you. You were put on, on this planet for a particular time. And we don't know how long none of us are going to be here. We can't take any of it, any of it with us. And we might as well have some fun while we're doing it and enjoy the hell out of life. Go skiing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do like me, right? Yeah, go to the snow. Yeah, skiing or falling down the mountain, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, don't break nothing. <laughs> yeah, I got a swollen knee, but I didn't break nothing. So that's a good thing. No, that you winning. Little ice, you all right. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff, man. I actually enjoy snowmobile a little bit more, but that's another story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. But uh, I'm, actually, a, I'm, a, I'm a hot cocoa at the lodge kind of guy. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. We got a chance to go to the um, site where they filmed Yellowstone uh, up there in the, the mountains uh, of, of Utah as well. So, but uh, that's another story for another conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah. But um, for all you guys who don't know, we were talking about our, our weekends before we got on the uh, recording here. So we appreciate adding that in there. But, um, well, Bruce, listen, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, we try to keep it to about an hour. So we're, we're down to one minute. And uh, we certainly appreciate having you here today. All the great conversation, really enjoyable. And uh, definitely want to talk to you about some other things that are, are in the hopper. You know, like I said, we'll talk offline about those. But um, we're still working on Vancouver for you. Yeah, well, well, please, we'll, we'll talk more about that as well and, and try to, you know, get that brought together. This other one is uh, down here in the south, and, and again, I'll, I'll get with you on more details Perfect. on that. I want Look to find the, uh, the builder on that project as well. But, but for everyone here, this has been the uh, Mornings with Joel Siori podcast. I want to thank you very much for being here. We certainly appreciate having our guest, Bruce Thomas, here today, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week as well. Thank you so much. Have a great Thank day. you. All right, Bruce. All right, appreciate you. Signing out. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. All right, you too. All right, everybody. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.